This week in the markets, gold, silver, and related shares continued sharply higher. Just a pleasure to rejoin you for this August 23rd, Season 14, Episode 710 show. Well, following several years of complacency, investors simply can't seem to get enough of the precious metals. That includes both of my guests this week, starting off with top analyst Harry S. Dent Jr. He notes if bulls can push the yellow metal above 1525, and by the way, we close there on Friday, 1800 is next. He says that the Great Recession of 2008-2009 required $16 trillion in monetary expansion to resolve. The next one might require two to three times as much. And just imagine what that will mean for investors. And we both expect better times ahead for U.S. equities. 30000 on the Dow, 10000 NASDAQ could be possible. Strategist of BobHoy.com rejoins the show and Robert Ian wraps up the show with his latest must-hear report. We'd like to hear from you in the Q&A hotline, 641-715-3900, followed by extension number 514049. That number again, 641-715-3900, followed by extension number 514049. Goldseek.com radio begins now with a market weather recap. Visibility was virtually unlimited from horizon to horizon over the precious metal sector for the 13th consecutive week amid increasing geopolitical drama between the world's two largest trading partners, which increased the odds of inflationary rate cut at next month's FOMC meeting. By Friday's closing bell, the yellow metal remained at lofty levels, up about 14.1% at 15.37%. Silver blasted higher 30 cents to 17.41, also up 1%. And the XAU precious metal shares, though, stole the show up $5, 5%, coming with an earshot of 100 at 98 by Friday. Palladium picked up $13, another 1%, at 14.54. Platinum added $4, ending near 8.55. And we suggest you keep an eye on that and be sure and log into your Alpha Stocks newsletter report for our Platinum ETF, our favorite. The top story driving the markets, gold futures rallied on Friday on news that China announced a new round of retaliatory tariffs against U.S. products. Beijing is now preparing to bump up tariffs, $75 billion on September 1st, and then the rest on December 15th. The dates matched those outlined by Washington. In a speech, though, at Jackson Hole, Wyoming, the Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, noted the governors are digesting this complex, quote, and turbulent picture that has emerged. He says the challenge now is to do what monetary policy can do to sustain our domestic expansion. They're carefully watching developments. The Fed chairman noted further, it's becoming clear that with the tariff and trade war escalation and monetary devaluations globally, there should be more accommodative moves on a forward basis. Precious metals, bottom line. Well, with the global trade skirmish clearly escalating, Central banks are now preparing for battle, with dovish comments emerging from several Fed heads this week, as well as their colleagues around the world. Lower rates translates into solid liquidity, inevitably inflationary, and good news for the precious metals markets as investors acknowledge the inflationary implications. 
Moreover, nervous stock market investors see an opportunity to boost their bottom lines with underpriced precious metals. The gold-to-silver ratio is also impressive, hovering near 90 now for the third consecutive month. After reaching a record of 96 ounces of silver per one ounce of gold, that's about two months ago. That's a solid relative valuation. The odds for $21 silver and higher silver continue to increase, and I agree with Gata.org's Bill Murphy. Once we breach that 21 level, the sky's the limit. Maybe even 30 would be the next big target. Moving on to Wall Street, mostly cloudy skies hovered over the New York Stock Exchange for the fourth week running on expectations of slower domestic output. Following comments from the U.S. Fed Chairman Powell at the closely watched Jackson Hole, Wyoming meeting. At Friday's closing bell on Wall Street, the Dow was off 400, 1.5% at 25,886. The top story moving the markets dovish comments from St. Louis Federal Reserve President James Bullard. Rate cuts are needed to combat economic weakness outside the U.S. The Fed lowered its benchmark rate from 2 and 2.25% last month. Now the current CME Fed Funds features suggest a second back-to-back monthly rate policy decision cut at the September 18th meeting down to around 1.75 to 2% amid what some analysts are calling an inversion of the yield curve. That, of course, the difference between the two and 10-year T-bills and T-notes, which is oftentimes seen as a sign of impending recession. U.S. shares bottom line. Clearly, the Fed governors are doing their best to support the economy, but investors are still a bit nervous. The fear to greed index is showing even more fearful conditions this week over last week, hovering around 17 out of 100. That suggests the herd is still nervous, and they're watching the Fed closely, preferring the sidelines ahead of next month's Fed rate cut, as well as watching for forward guidance from U.S. and from the Eurozone economic ministers. Although markets are pulling back, the dovish Fed speak and that of their global colleagues, though, I think suggests supportive actions will likely bring a floor, possibly providing a footing to launch 30,000 Dow. We'll wait and see. Coming up after the break, more Gold Seek Radio. Thanks for choosing GoldSeek.com Radio as a trusted business and investing news source. Bob Hoy, he's an editor-in-chief investment strategist, and he's now at BobHoy.com with... Oh, it's Katie, formerly Patricia, ran the show. Right, and you also have... Oh, yeah, we've got Ross Clark, who is a superb uh, technical analysis. As a matter of fact, they're one of the fairly well-known market letter guys who is also a technician. He refers to Ross as the Mozart of stock technicians. That's quite high praise. And then we've had Leventi, who is our fixed income guy, but he made a huge amount of money in a marijuana stock, so he's out traveling around the world now, no longer <laughs> no longer writing. Your timing's been impeccable. I mean, five chief analysts last week call for new record highs in the yellow metal. What's going on here? As you get higher in the price, the recommendations get more resolute, and then some long-known names are saying, load up now, you know, back the truck up, that sort of stuff. But uh, with us, uh, we figured that, well, actually going back to last year, we were looking for the possible discovery of uh, credit problems in the fall, which we got. 
So then the idea was to avoid gold stocks and that there would be an opportunity, oh, in the fall to buy them. And the actual low for gold or the stock indexes was, what was it, late September on that really dreadful sell-off, which Ross got with the technicals as being extremely oversold. But then I mainly focus on the stocks. So it was, you know, let's just wait in, on the side and see what happens. And so, but for November 1st, enough had fallen into place where we said, okay, buy some gold stocks on weakness. <laughs> it declined for two weeks. And actually, it was a very nice entry point. And uh, then you've got a, a you know, a, a good rally. And so, it is now the technical excesses are being reached. And when we get that, uh, we say, yeah, let's take some money off the table in the gold stocks as, as well as in gold. Now, gold has, has done it. The move hasn't been solely on the dollar going down. As a matter of fact, the dollar hasn't gone down. But it's what is happening here, Chris, and this is where we rely on the historical research. And there, and you always do it in terms of the senior currency, which is dollar now. And prior to that, it was the British pound. Uh, so what you get, and I did the original work on this, is that the in each great financial bubble, uh, the first one was 1720, and 1929 was number five, and 2018 was number six. So, But on each of them, oh, sorry, back up a bit. During that period, this long history, there were times, long times, when the senior currency was convertible into gold. That meant there was no change in the price relative to the sterling. Um, but then when you take gold's price and deflate it by the CPI, then it t starts to tell you a story. And that was that on each of the great financial bubbles, the real price of gold went down. But Chris, I want to tell you, any bear market you're in is always the worst in history. So anyways, uh, then one then looks for the bubble to get exhausted, which it has been doing. And one would expect that gold's real price, as deflated by the CPI, would begin to form a base, which it has been doing. And on a monthly basis, it's trying to turn up, which is constructive. Now, the reason why this is important is that the real price of gold is a proxy for the cost of mining it. And uh, there have been times, um, like in 1995, when this, I think it was then, when the street discovered that while the price of gold in U.S. dollars was going up, the cost of mining were going up faster. So the mining, the stuff wasn't so good for profitability. So then this is where you get back to the real price. And when the real price is going down, it reflects that you're not getting a good enough price for your bullion production relative to your costs. 
And that was the case in 1929, where Homestake was the premier producer. And for that year, it reported a slight loss because the cost of everything else was up with the 1929 boom. And Homestake stock had uh, underperformed, and then it, it, it got hit hard with the crash. But for 1930 and 31, 31 in there, you could have accumulated shares in Homestake at $9 at around that level. And then with then 1929 setting the low for the real price, it started to turn up. So Homestake's earnings started to improve. So that by the time you got to the end of 1932, which was before Roosevelt started fooling around with the price, uh, Homestake stock was up around 130%, and the earnings were up about 100 and in that order, and the price of gold was still at $20.67 an ounce. And then, of course, when in 1933, Roosevelt started fooling around with the gold price, and the reason for moving gold up, depreciating the dollar, was that he had a professor of agriculture in his brain trust, uh, and he had the theory that if you move gold up, that would raise grain prices. But that's not the case because after a bubble, everything falls relative. So it was, and then he got bored with it at thirty-five dollars an ounce. But it really did have the real price of gold going up, and uh, the whole thing became a party and. Homestake stock went up to about $65 a share from, in 1931, a $9 purchase. But, Chris, there was more to it than that, because in those days, um, gold miners paid every, virtually everything out by way of dividend. So, in 1934, 35, 36, they were paying out $4 a share dividend. On a $9 purchase? I mean, people in the gold business were making a huge amount of money. And then also, uh, where you can show that earning profitability increases for a gold miner, but that rise in the real price also enhances valuation of exploration properties. So then the uh, the juniors were flying as well. So... Uh, the whole it, it it is incredible, but you've had some of your best bull markets for gold stocks in the post bubble deflations. But the problem with the uh, gold commentators, many of them, is that they learned their trade in the 1970s when the game was inflation. Um, but the public really runs the show. And the pattern has been for 300 years that you have a great boom in commodities, like 1920, and then it crashes. And then the action shifts over to stocks and bonds, the financial assets. So that in 1920s, you, it was a, uh, the bubble was building. Uh, the action had turned to uh, stocks and bonds. 
But the Federal Reserve then was absolutely uh, riveted by concerns about weak pricing power because the 1921 crash in global commodities was staggering. So then the Fed was easy in monetary policy because they were hoping to keep prices up, not understanding uh, the nature of a financial mania. And so the extra credit they were pushing into the system then went into bidding up stock prices. And then, of course, it's the, the disaster follows when the stock bubble completes. So here we are, again, for most of the last decade, and the Fed has been easy, and the way they phrased it this time around was that they had to keep the CPI inflation above 2%. I mean, we've, we heard that for most of the last decade. So they were deliberately easy and not understanding the nature of a financial bubble. And here we are. It's, it's blown out um, and is in kind of rolling over. Uh, actually, Chris, there's some details within this that I could go into if you like. Continue if you'd like to, or if you'd prefer to switch over, you know, to the latest rate cut cycle, we can do that. I'll leave it up to you. And this, again, I discovered in the 1970s is that you have the big commodity boom, like I said, 1920. Then the stock bubble blew out nine years later in 1929. So then I went backwards. And then also I knew about that in the 1720 South Sea bubble that the commodity boom had completed in 1711. So you had the nine years. So I went looking for bubbles in between and found them. You had one in 1873 where the commodity boom had peaked in 1864. So you got this nine. But the key to current markets is that in 2008 was a huge speculation in commodities led by crude oil, which went up to 147. And then you had the hard hit, and crude sold off all the way down to $26. But that then was the equivalent of 1920. So nine years later, you'd kind of see if a a mania in the stock market was blowing out. So yes, we had the huge speculation going into December 2017 with the dot uh, with the uh, Bitcoin bubble, and then the New York Stock Exchange Composite Index set its high in January 2018. So then, for two th- for for t- 1920, you, I was able to get a commodity index plotted by month. So then you can go from the the peak in commodities to the month to the peak in stocks. So in 1929, that ran for nine years and five months. And this time, if you take the peak in commodities in 2008 and the high for the New York Stock Exchange composite in January 18, that was nine years and seven months. And also, there was a, uh, we were looking at a, a world. Uh, stock market index without the U.S. in it. 
and it set its big high in January 18. Now, also on the high in the NASDAQ, that momentum thing, the RSI got up to 89, which is very high for such a broad index. But in the height of the dot-com bubble in 2000, the NASDAQ, which was crazy at that time, the RSI got to 84. So uh, January 18 was, was the culminate, a fabulous climax to a decade of speculation. So now what we're looking for is that that NYSE comp did not make new highs and the world stock index did not make new highs. So the rollover here will be very important. And what we have on this one is that with the dismal December, as we called it, uh, we're looking for rebounds out to uh, into the second quarter. And that would be in base metals and crude oil and the credit markets would turn positive. And so what we called it was sunshine in the markets, perhaps until mid-year. And then the next step was that probably that it would turn to twilight in August, which it has done with that whack to the market. And then the other, the last one on that was uh, that in the fall, uh, a credit crisis, another credit crisis could be discovered, and we called that the twilight zone. The key um, industrial commodities did rally, and they have uh, sold off. So that's no longer positive. The yield curve went recently to inverted. Um, that trend has been positive, but getting inverted it becomes a warning. And when it reverses to steepening, then that, that'll be a, a, a bad thing. But the other part of the good things likely to run to mid-year would have been credit spreads, which is the difference between high-grade bonds and low-grade bonds. And in a party, everybody's confident, so the spread's narrow. And that would, again, run into the second quarter, which it did. But the the one we use is the, the CCC spread relative to treasuries. And in, in uh, June, it made a reversal uh, such that we called it the first breakout on setting a reversal to uh, a widening spread. But the key one has always been the second breakout, and that occurred uh, two, two, three weeks ago when, of course, when we got the hit in the stock market. So that then is working out. So, And the credit spreads uh, since the bre second breakout have continued to widen, which is a warning. And the yield curve hasn't reversed yet. Now, that, that may happen in September. And when you get both those aspects of the credit markets going against you, the stock market is hopeless. So, But there's a, an exquisite irony in here, Chris, is that the uh, 
for us last year at this time, and we wrote it, that what was missing in the equation was that there wasn't enough nervousness in the financial markets for the street to be calling for a Fed cut. It just wasn't there. I kept looking for it. And so this is what we based our conclusion on, that the sell-off would likely be 20% on the senior indexes, which is what it was. But on this one, uh, beginning in July, was the uh, there was enough concerns that then they started bringing out the story about the Fed cut would boost the stock market. Now, there's the aspect of this one with the Fed cut is, and I'm just completing the study now, is that the Treasury bill rate, which is a market rate of interest, and it's set continuously all the time, is changing all the time. Well, the three-month bill rate went up until March and then turned down, and then in in May was down distinctively. So then the Fed had no choice but to follow. And there are a number of senior analysts out there who couldn't figure out why the Fed was cutting the rate when on a, when the unemployment numbers were so good and the stock market was so good. And we just wrote quite simply, the Fed had to cut the rate because the T-bill rate came down. So it, has, it cut the rate in order to look in charge. But in 1929, the T-bill rate went up until that May. And then that was confirming that the boom was on. And then when it turned down, that was suggesting the boom was off and the Fed didn't cut its interest rate until that October. So there was, oh, what's that, five months spread between the market rates of interest turning down and the Fed following. So I've traced this back to the 1873 bubble and indeed in previous examples of a bubble climaxing, the the senior central bank, then it was the Bank of England, was six, around six months behind the market. So then what this suggests is that those people who studied the Fed and consider it running the show, it's completely futile because the Fed is consistently behind the market. So the 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 decline in the T bill rate is suggesting the contraction, but the Fed had to follow. So all of the sheep then bit up the stock market because of the Fed cuts. And that was the case in September of two thousand and seven. And I have a wonderful quote. I haven't got it in front of me, but it was the chief investment officer that and chief investment officer at Harris Partners. And he was saying that the Fed cut was certainty and it would drive the stock market up. Well, the first that's the celebration you get with the first Fed cut. And then continuous cuts after are associated with uh, a bear market. And indeed, the interest rate cuts are the fastest in the worst part of the bear market. So how people can stay with this theory that the Fed cut can keep a, a, a party going 
has never been proven in history. So here we are. So all of the items, or let's say the most of the items you would monitor are in position that are saying that a financial contraction uh, is quite likely this fall. So how do we back this one up with history? Well, all of these great financial bubbles I've mentioned since 1720, all of them crashed in the fall. Every one of them. And then, of course, many ordinary bull and bear markets have found that, hey, if there's going to be a hit, it's likely to be in the fall. And that's the old saying, sell in May and go away. And uh, it's, it's just the way the financial markets work. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, that takes us back to uh, 1720. But the uh, there in northern Italy, in the uh, Florence, which their wealth was then, there was not a stock market as such. But investors would their, put their money into mortgages. And there's an excellent book. Oh, so I'll just step back. And then there was a mighty crash in 1345 and 46, where adversity came along. And then the administrators then uh, allowed mortgages to be transferable, so you could sell them. And there was a crash. And there was a an Italian scholar, his last name Sapola, did a wonderful book on it. So it is detailed. And guess what? The most severest panics in that mortgage market occurred in the fall. So it's a it's a human nature thing. So. I think that people should be, uh, well, we've been saying it, build liquidity, sell the rallies, and including gold stocks now. And then you've got some cushion, and there will be opportunities uh, late in the fall. And we will have the technical analysis to help us get in, which we had last year in, let's call it dismal December. Yeah, it was December 26th when we had um, a, a sequential buy on crude oil and on the S&P uh, on the same day. And, you know, it's been joy ever since. So, And we've now been getting uh, upside exhaustions and sequential sells on a number of, of uh, equity items out there. So, uh, again, reinforcing it to build some liquidity while the bids are around. You see some pretty rough seas ahead. How does that bode, though, for the yellow metal and silver? A critical question is, in a, as we mentioned, uh, in a bull market for gold and silver, silver will always outperform. But then silver does a great service because when it starts to underperform with the uh, gold-silver ratio going up, that then is also a warning on the financial markets in in so say in September sometime, if there's a day when silver is down very sharply and gold is not down, then that that can signal uh, an impending disaster. So uh, in in the um, in the contract or in the booms, the gold silver ratio goes down, and in the bust, the gold silver ratio goes up. So we're looking for it to oh 
maybe 110. It's in the 90s, 80s, 90s, over the last while. So uh, the uh, it's oh, Chris. From time to time, I've called it the, the metallic credit spread, <laughs> the gold silver ratio. So uh, silver, I think, uh, it's been a a game or an item that, for some reason or other, fundamental analysts who do supply demand uh, take to. And, of course, I think every year since I've been in the market, since 1963, there's been a shortage of silver in the markets, and yet silver does what it does. And the key uh, item on now is that the U.S. dollar is not going to crash. Although the Fed is printing them like crazy, uh, the extra credit went into bidding up stocks and bonds, and that's where the crash will be. So uh, the uh, in po- previous post bubble contractions, the senior currency, hitherto sterling, but now the dollar, becomes chronically strong against most other currencies and most commodities, and as I like to show in for most of the time. And so this is what we're looking for now. But one of the things that you can get as the bubble ends is that the careful money. Goes to liquidity. It doesn't care what kind of return it gets. It just wants to be protected. And your most liquid items are uh, U.S. Treasury bills, you know, shorter than one year, and gold. So uh, there will be a bid for gold. As a matter of fact, we expected the for this year that uh, the investment demand for gold would increase, and mainly because it's it's careful money going to a liquid item. And then also we expected the T-bill rate to decrease because there'd be a bid for uh, treasure bills, and this has been the case. But then that also puts in a bid for the dollar. So to to call for a strong gold rally based upon a very weak dollar, we can't do that now. As a matter of fact, the gold rally this year has been outstanding, considering there's been very little change in the dollar index. But then, hey, there's been times in history when you had a strong market for copper with very little change in the dollar. So uh, this is then the street beginning to put the real price of gold up. It's not broken out yet relative to the CPI, but... Oh, it has a little, Chris, but it's not something I'd get excited about. I think that'll come in the fall. So one has to change one's point of view uh, upon depending upon market circumstances. And the gold community has learned that gold will go to 10000 and the dollar's going to go to zero. But this has been dismantled over the last decade by the fact that we've had a party in financial assets. So, But then the irony is is that when this party crashes, and it will, that then sets up a post-bubble deflationary bull market for gold that'll be fabulous. So, uh, gosh, you just want to take a look at that chart for Homestake in the 1930s. Uh, incredible. And then also, the, like the other one, Dome, 
dome gold or dome mines, that was a discovery uh, item then, and it was a huge return from that one. And then there were were many uh, other juniors which have all disappeared or whatever. But uh, I was at a brokerage office in 1972, and there was uh, one of the outstanding um, stock promoters in Canada was giving a pitch on whatever it was then. I can't remember what it was, but... And he had a, a warm-up man ahead of him. Uh, and this was a very dapper guy, charcoal gray suit, double-breasted. And he was much older. And so I said, after the pitch, I said to him, now, were you in the uh, in the broker's business in the 1930s? And he said, yeah, in Montreal. And th- in those days, uh, the Montreal Stock Exchange was pretty hot. So I said, I know that the senior gold stocks did very well in the 1930s, but what about the juniors? As I said, there's no evidence. And he said, looks at me and he says, Sonny, in 1933, I was a broker. We had a lot of hot deals. And one of my bigger accounts gave me a brand new Ford Roadster as a gratuity. So... There's an old one from the gold mining business in the night. A broker gets a new Ford Roadster as a tip. Uh, you, you can go to cash, but with the T-bill rate declining down to zero, hey, and rolling over and getting less. So there is a place where you can park some money and make a, uh, uh, some money out of it, and that would be three- to four-year good-grade corporate bonds. You get a higher coupon. And it won't kill you. The you won't get downgraded, and you won't get hit with price fluctuations. Because if you, there will be some swings, but that's one thing that'll make some money. And if there's any Canadians listening, uh, if if the uh, from Canada, if you buy three to four year U.S. government bonds or U.S. Uh, corporates, uh, you're going to get the. Um, bang out of the dollar you can the canadian the canadian dollar will go down relative to the u.s so uh that's uh, a fairly safe thing to do and the trouble is you got to be with a broker or sleuth out and find some three to four year corporates for you it'll take a bit of work i should look up and see if there's anybody's got some etfs on that or kind of a little unit trust or something i'll take a look but who knows there's virtually an ETF for everything you can think of today. Speaking of, we found an interesting ETF on the platinum uh, sector as well, which has been, you know, if you think about it, of all the precious metals, there's only been one that's lagged here. Palladium's head off to the sky. Silver's had a big run. Gold has had its day. But platinum continues to lag. And, and I think that could be one of the next big stories, the catch up between platinum and palladium, especially, you know, as the um, engineers find unique ways to substitute palladium with platinum within the catalytic yeah. converter industry. Bob Hoy, any other parting comments for folks today? The services you provide? Uh, BobHoy.com, and we publish, at least I do regularly, about a four-page piece each week, which covers all the aspects of the market. And then we've got our technical work, which comes out on opportunities. You know, hey, oh, here's a buy, or oops, here's a sell kind of thing. So that comes out, as I say, on opportunities. All right, Bob Hoy, we can't thank you enough. Okay, we'll look forward to talking to you next time.
The blockchain revolution is transforming the global arena, disrupting every industry in its path. Goldseek.com is excited to introduce an off-the-chain opportunity in digital gold and silver from our friends at Atmex and Sprott.com. One Gold holds physical gold and silver medals at the Royal Canadian Mint, the first online marketplace to offer secure and convenient buying, selling, and redemption of digital precious metals. One Gold uses Vault Chain, a secure, immutable blockchain ledger developed by Tradewind Markets, the leading innovator in digital precious metals distributed ledger and blockchain technology. Vault Chain. Gold and silver are 100% redeemable through One Gold. For physical precious metals delivered to customers' doors in any size at competitive prices and low transaction storage costs. As a special offer and for a limited time only, One Gold is offering gold and silver at spot price with no additional premiums. OneGold.com is secure and accessible 24-7 on any device, offering convenient purchases and sales of precious metals. Easy recurring transactions make passive saving and gold dollar cost averaging as easy as a single mouse click. Vault Chain offers the best tier pricing on AppMex products, setting the industry standard as a fully backed physical asset with easy redemption in coins, rounds, or bars, offering clients peace of mind and full transparency. Don't get left behind. Remember to bookmark OneGold.com for the safest and most convenient digital precious metals today. Remember OneGold. Goldseek employees may or may not own shares. Nothing contained herein should be construed as investment advice. Shopping for fine jewelry just got easier. Goldseek.com has identified the most successful jewelry brand to launch in recent times. Many Jewelry is rewriting the way consumers buy fine jewelry. Integrity Craftsmanship, the only company to sell 24-karat gold and platinum jewelry, avoiding confusing alloys and gems, a true precious metals investment. Many Jewelry's disruptive business model embraces Franco-American craftsmanship and direct-to-consumer economics, rapidly disrupting the $20 billion monopoly, just like Amazon and Uber. The sky is the limit with $1 billion of jewelry purchases daily for loved ones and those special occasions. Many Jewelry is an innovator positioned to capture market share with annual sales growth in the industry topping $30 billion by 2021. Many Jewelry coined the term investment jewelry, pricing by the gram, transparently disclosing its profit margins, a truer investment in pure gold or platinum. Similar to real estate, even artwork, Many Jewelry has a weighted value easily calculated ensuring value wealth as a long-term investment. But sales in 60 countries around the globe, 20,000 orders already, don't miss out on the explosive growth potential. Many Jewelry trades under the symbols M-E-N-E on the Toronto Exchange and in the U.S. M-E-N-E-F. Remember to sign up to Many's Shareholder Club to receive shareholder news, updates, and special discount codes for jewelry purchases. Remember, Many Jewelry. Goldseek employees may or may not own shares. Nothing contained herein should be construed as investment advice. Thanks for choosing Goldseek.com Radio as a trusted business and investing news source. Just a pleasure to welcome Harry S. Dent, Jr., the author of Sale of a Lifetime, many bestsellers, editor of the free newsletter Economy and Markets. Welcome back, Harry S. Dent, Jr. Oh, nice to be back, Chris. So a lot going on since we last talked. Of course, we now have a Fed rate cut cycle underway, and it looks like we're almost certainly going to have another back-to-back rate cut next month, okay, after we just had our first in a few years. So the Fed is uh, intent on weakening the U.S. dollar, and that tends to bode well for precious metals. What do you all see? Well, you know, uh, I've been seeing since gold hit 1,050, I said, look, this is, I'm not as bullish as some people down the road for a couple years, 
but but this this was way oversold, and I was looking at going back to 1428 or so. Well, here we are knocking on the more important door, 1525. That is that was a very important break when gold broke down, when 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 Japan started upping the stimulus and inflation didn't come, gold just broke down. That was a critical break, and I've always said that's the key resistance point. We hit it yesterday, backed off, we're right back at it today. So if gold can break above 1525, that's that's the line in the sand I've had for a while, then it's it's going to go a good bit higher, uh, as high as 1800 potentially. I still am not in the camp of new highs in gold because I feel like the commodity cycle is peaked for now, and that's a big part of gold's long-term cycle. But but that, that it's going to have to break that, though. And, and basically... Gold is looking, like you said, for the currency wars. The stock market's looking for a trade deal. So the whole reason that stocks went up yesterday and gold went down was Trump said, oh, I'm going to back off the tariffs. I'm going to be back in negotiations in two weeks. And then today, instead, the bond market said, oh, oh you know, we just, they just keep going down in yields, saying there's a recession coming in the next year or so. And gold expects more money printing if, if the economy's gonna keep slowing, and that, that's what it likes to see. So it, it, it's still, uh, 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 could go either way here, but that was a pretty strong reversal today that, that would bode for, man, all gold's gotta do is just break a little higher, and then, then the, you know, the, the, the ceilings open up for a good while. When we look back at the last couple of rallies, I mean, the big bull cycles in the precious metals, mid-70s, and then again around 2001, 2002, 12-year rally. And it didn't begin like this. You know, I mean, we didn't see gold starting to show signs of six-year highs approaching seven-year high right now, while U.S. equities were recently near an all-time zenith. It seemed to me like it took a year or so for equities to back off from their peaks, and people said, okay, I got it, I got it, equity cycle, we're done. And people slowly woke up to that and they adjusted their, you know, hypotheses and their portfolios and their models to reflect a new commodity cycle, upturn, bull market. What you're saying is, you know, 1800 may be the top, could just be one of those epic bear market or at least sideways market rallies. Yeah, this, this is a very substantial, even more than I originally predicted, bear market rally from my point of view. Commodity cycles peak, and I do see the economy getting worse in the next few years, and it's going to bring a level of deflation. I mean, the number one thing gold correlates with long term is inflation, and it also does peak typically with the commodity cycle, as it did in 1980. Commodities peaked in 1980 and went down, and, and, and so did gold and silver and things like that. So I do think that what, what, what's happening, commodities and including gold, and, and, and the thing that's impressed me is gold is the only uh, commodity that has held up well uh, of, of, of many in this commodity crash. Commodities have already seen 60, 70, 80% crashes. Gold's only seen 40-something. So that's stellar. And I do see that there's another commodity cycle coming, because this is every 30 years, like the clock. The commodity cycle should bottom in the next few years, and then we should see a long-term rally again from about 2022 or 23 into 2038 to 40. Now, what's going to be unique about that next rally is it's going to be dominated in the stock market and in demographics, I study, 
by the emerging countries instead of the developed countries, as we're all aging to different degrees. Emerging countries produce commodities and make profits on it, and emerging countries also spend a much higher percentage of their income on commodities. And the two biggies that are going to dominate the future in Asia, China and India, India love gold. They are the biggest two consumers of gold in the world. They outstrip central banks, investors, developed countries, everybody. So I think you could see the biggest gold bull market in history, but I still think it's a couple years away. So I, I do see this as a bear market rally, but, but it has done way better than other commodities, which bodes well with the downside being more limited. I'm looking at more like maybe a thousand now on the downside, 700 the worst. I used to be looking at 400 to 700. And in the next rally, that the other thing is that in commodity bull markets, like we saw from 2001 to uh, 2008 and 11 for the metals, it is the metals and energy that tend to do the best because they're, you can't farm them like, you know, like wheat and cattle. <laughs> you can't produce them and expand them as easily. So when you do get those commodity booms, it is better to concentrate in the metals. So that's another argument for, for everything from tin and nickel and stuff, which is hard to invest in. you got to buy a major mining company, the easiest thing to buy is gold, silver, and platinum. My focus was mostly inflation and the currency-related issues and the FX and the Forex and um, those money flows, that this might be end-of-dollar hegemony where gold might adjust, might double as the dollar gets a, a sudden haircut. Yeah, I think it's not time for it because 2008 already kind of proved that. We had a meltdown that looked like a lot of, like the 30s and, and, and then all this, you know, Money printing and stuff, but but gold still went down when Lehman Brothers went down, and there was a, a short bout of deflation. Now, what what it would take in this scenario for gold to break the new highs and go much higher um, would be that pretty much most current major currencies would all have to go down. That's hard to do because currencies trade relative to each other, and and it's and it's hard to I mean. Bitcoin, people say Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies should replace it. No, they're extremely volatile. They have very little capitalization. Gold is not as big a percent of the whole world economy in its value and its size of production or growth of production as, as it used to be when it was a great standard. So I think it's harder for that to happen now. But what happened in 2008, and people forget this, the U.S. dollar... In the second half of 2008, when everything really melted down and it looked more like a depression temporarily instead of a, just a run-of-the-mill recession, the dollar went up 27 28%. Gold went down 33 Silver went down 50 And most other currencies went down. So that would be the big thing. If the U.S. dollar did lose its hegemony and people did start to lose faith in that, as well as other major currencies like the euro and fans, then that would open up bigger for gold and cryptocurrencies. I have a hard time seeing that happen, but I can't rule that out because this whole scenario since 2009 with $12 trillion printed and, and now, you know, Trump's like just telling the Federal Reserve Chairman what to do. I want you to raise lower rates. And I want you to lower them this much and do it now. And if you don't, you know, I mean, this is just the whole thing, you know, for all my grander, bigger theories and demographic trends and commodity cycles and stuff, I also look at technical indicators, and then, you know, Peter Schiff <laughs> emailed me the other day and said, Harry, what's it going to take you to get a little more bullish on gold here? And I said, a break up above 1525, and I'm going to be bullish. 
And then if it breaks above 1,800, okay, now you're really talking. Now that, that would tell me something is happening different than past commodity and inflation cycles. I do not see inflation of any significant degree. And, and the commodity cycle has clearly peaked and has already, on the flip side, uh, seen major downturns. Now, we go into slowdown. It's going to get a little worse. But if I had to buy anything right now, I'd be buying commodities, not, not uh, most bonds, not stocks, uh, uh, certainly not real estate and stuff. So I think commodities and the emerging countries will lead us out of whatever downturn we have. I don't see any of them going up. Something like gold or crypto could break the mold. I also see cryptocurrencies as the last tech bubble, like the Internet stocks and their hype cycle, when they're basically trading for 400 times earnings or, 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 or going straight up with no earnings or some of them even no sales. They were a hype bubble that, that crashed, and then they became the next big thing. So I see that for Bitcoin and stuff, that it's in that hype phase. I see it peaking with stocks. Crypto people see, if I'm right, that stocks crash, they think crypto is going to rally for the same reason you're saying, oh, gosh, we need a better currency, we need a better monetary system. I just, cryptos just aren't there yet. I don't, there's just no way they can be that overnight. That that could take, that could happen over 10, 20 years, a whole new, some sort of gold-based and or basket case curve. A lot of things could happen over many years, but in a crisis, 2008, to me, proved fan, I hate to say it, the dollar ends up being the safe haven temporarily. So I, I would still bet on the dollar doing well if this happened, but I'm going to look at the chart too, and, and if it looks like gold breaking out and dollars breaking down, then something different could happen. And we too just heard from uh, Peter Schiff, who lucky him is on sabbatical in Italy, probably enjoying fantastic cuisine there. We have another group here, another camp in the gold crowd that's convinced could see a force majeure across many of these markets um, where gold, paper gold has, according to many, you know, gotta.org, that the market's been artificially held in check. And if that ever breaks free, the bullion market from the paper market, I mean, you could just see uh, big adjustments overnight. I think the best thing to happen to gold, and I still think it would go down first, is that we get into the next downturn and then the central bank starts saying, Oh, well, we, you know, the only problem here, we just didn't print enough. 12 to 14 trillion dollars, the most extravagant creation of money for no, you know, really good reason in history wasn't enough. And they start talking, well, it's going to take 30, 40, 50 trillion. Would gold love to hear that? And that's what happened in 2008. When it did go down 33%, the next move was with, you know, central banks printing, you know, trillions of dollars in just one year, 2000. I mean, just this massive, sudden printing, and, and that's what lit gold up. Gold had its greatest gains after 2008 because of the major money printing. So that would be the best thing. I mean, that's what could cause gold to come out of this, be one of the first things to come out of whatever crisis we have, is that central banks start talking crazy. And, and they may not be able to fulfill on that, or, or, or they may lose confidence to do. But just the talk of that would would be would would light up gold. That's the biggest thing I'd see lighting up gold. Central banks start saying, "Oh, we got to print tens of trillions now." I'm like, gold would love that. Then let's move on to U.S. equities. We haven't really um, touched on them all that much yet. All-time record highs in the Dow. Um, actually, all three major indices: the Nasdaq, S&P 500, Dow, and of course, the Dow is something like a 120 plus year 
that's nominal. It's not in real terms. Inflation adjusted. Obviously, they do like investors and institutions love the idea of buybacks, options, boosting of shares, liquidity dwindling. Lower rates means, well, more free money to issue debt to juice the system. My demographic model, which is since the 80s, I'm predicting when the stocks are going to go up and down about where they should be and stuff. Basically, stocks are now 19% overvalued compared to where they should be. And you can explain that 99% simply by the fact that earnings per share has grown that much faster than, than actual earnings in the slowest recovery, in the slowest economy. In fact, the whole economy is as slow, slightly slower than it was from the peak in 1929 through the bottom of the Depression in 1940. So so this is, uh, you know, the slowest period in history, and yet stocks have the greatest bubble ever. It's buybacks through uh, uh, tax cuts recently, and before that, all this money printing and very cheap money, and, and, and artificially better growth than you'd have if you had to really pay the piper for all the debt slowing and demographics. Right? That's made the difference. And so stocks to me, and I'm also seeing this kind of like Bitcoin, I mean like, like the internet bubble in late 99 and stuff in early 2000, the last phase. I think we're in that final phase, and I think stocks are going to go higher. I think Bitcoin with them, and by early next year or sometime not too far after, I think this thing's going to blow out. My targets have been, and we're going right towards that unless we get halted here, it's been 10000 for the NASDAQ, thirty to 33000 for the Dow, and then then we crash, um, and, and Bitcoin and cryptos go with it. They don't. They aren't counter. Gold is more likely to move counter to this market than crypto in the early stages of the cash, because crypto's been part of the bubble and they don't they don't see that in that industry. So I'm I'm bullish on stocks near term, but stocks also are at a critical point because we had this what we call slightly high three higher highs and then stocks backed off. That's called a megaphone pattern. Higher highs and lower lows. Stocks could either go down twenty twenty five percent in the next few months or they could be zooming towards major new highs by early next year. They've got a break. NASDAQ's got a break above 8,500. The Dow's got a break above about 27,600. And if that happens, so stocks, so, so, and, and the question is, if stocks go up, does gold go down, or does instead gold go up and stocks go down? Because I could see stocks go down 20%. So gold and stocks, for us, right now, are both at pivotal point. And both of them could go either way in the next next few months. Purely from a technical base and money flows, especially with the NASDAQ 10,000. And another, you know, circa dot-com-like runaway market where people just uh, seem to lose touch with reality. And I think there's also the idea money that has to go somewhere. Yeah, they're chasing the hot thing. Bond yields are going lower, 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 lower. They're almost as low as 2016 now. So it's true, it has to go somewhere. But now, here's the difference, I'd say, particularly for gold. If stocks are going up because, because central banks keep getting more accommodative, stocks and gold might go up. But if it goes up because there's a trade deal breakthrough with China, that's something gold's not going to like and stocks are going to like. That's the difference right now. The, what happened yesterday was Trump announces he's backing off on some of the tariffs 
and there's going to be trade trade meetings again in two weeks. Well, stocks love that. Gold didn't. Um, and, and then today it was more, oh, looks like weaker economy. Oh, stocks said, woo, but, but gold's like, oh, more money printing. So, and then, so if it's currency wars, gold's a winner. If it's a trade deal and, and that's working, you know, kumbaya for a while, that's better for stocks. There, there is a scenario here where both of them could go. You know, there's been a lot of backpedaling on this big talk from Washington. You know, we've heard all this Smoot-Hawley act again, but we haven't seen that type of response. We all know what happened in 1929, 1930 for the next decade or two following um, that debacle. So um, it's obviously just not having that kind of impact. Yeah, yeah. again, we're at critical points. Bond yields have been going down, down, down. At some point, they're going to bounce up, I think, in the late stages of rally. If stocks can break up, you know, about 3, 4, 5% higher, they're going to probably run. And if gold can just break cleanly through 1525, it's probably going to run. So, so again, we're at very critical points. Chart patterns are more important to me than anything because when the short term becomes so important and there's these critical points, that's what makes the difference more than the fundamentals. So we shall see, but I, I think we're much more clear in the next month, probably, maybe less. Why don't you give folks the uh, precise web page and, uh, you know, whatever books you're working on at this time or you'd like to promote on Amazon or other resources? We still have zero hours, our last book. I'm going to probably come out with a new book early next year. Get on our free newsletter and learn more about us and, and keep up with what we're thinking because there's going to be a lot of action in the next uh, couple months. Just go to harrygent.com and you get on our free daily newsletter. And then, of course, we have other newsletters, but that's when you get to know us. Look forward to further commentary in 2019. Okay, great. The blockchain revolution is transforming the global arena, disrupting every industry in its path. Goldseek.com is excited to introduce an off-the-chain opportunity in digital gold and silver from our friends at Atmex and Sprott.com. One Gold holds physical gold and silver medals at the Royal Canadian Mint, the first online marketplace to offer secure and convenient buying, selling, and redemption of digital precious metals. One Gold uses Vault Chain, a secure, immutable blockchain ledger developed by Tradewind markets the leading innovator in digital precious metals distributed ledger and blockchain technology vault chain gold and silver are 100 redeemable through one gold for physical precious metals delivered to customers doors in any size at competitive prices and low transaction storage costs as a special offer and for a limited time only one gold is offering gold and silver at spot price with no additional premiums one gold.com is secure and accessible 24 7 on any device offering convenient purchases and sales of precious metals easy recurring transactions make passive saving and gold dollar cost averaging as easy as a single mouse click vault chain offers the best tier pricing on AppMex products setting the industry standard as a fully backed physical asset with easy redemption in coins rounds or bars offering clients peace of mind and full transparency don't get left behind remember to bookmark onegold.com for the safest and most convenient digital precious metals today remember one gold Goldseek employees may or may not own shares. Nothing contained herein should be construed as investment advice. 
Shopping for fine jewelry just got easier. Goldseek.com has identified the most successful jewelry brand to launch in recent times. Many jewelry is rewriting the way consumers buy fine jewelry. Integrity Craftsmanship, the only company to sell 24 karat gold and platinum jewelry, avoiding confusing alloys and gems, a true precious metals investment. Many jewelry's disruptive business model embraces Franco-American craftsmanship and direct-to-consumer economics, rapidly disrupting the $20 billion monopoly just like Amazon and Uber. The sky is the limit with $1 billion of jewelry purchases daily for loved ones and those special occasions. Many jewelry is an innovator positioned to capture market share with annual sales growth in the industry topping $30 billion by 2021. Many jewelry coined the term investment jewelry, pricing by the gram, transparently disclosing its profit margins, a truer investment in pure gold or platinum. Similar to real estate, even artwork, many jewelry has a weighted value easily calculated, ensuring value wealth as a long-term investment. But sales in 60 countries around the globe, 20,000 orders already, don't miss out on the explosive growth potential. Many jewelry trades under the symbols M-E-N-E on the Toronto Exchange and in the U.S. M-E-N-E-F. Remember to sign up to Many's Shareholder Club to receive shareholder news, updates, and special discount codes for jewelry purchases. Remember, Many Jewelry. Goldseek employees may or may not own shares. Nothing contained herein should be construed as investment advice. This is Robert Ian with GoldSeek.com Radio. Confusion isn't a byproduct of media and social media today. Confusion is the product. The constant bombardment of our senses with headline after headline and tweet after tweet is enough to drive a sane and rational person to the point of disengagement. Emotional sensibility and rational sensibility are tweaked, prodded, challenged, and confronted in most every report, on most every subject, day in and day out, to the point of confusion, disengagement, and in action. As consumers of this snowstorm of information become blinded by near blizzard-like conditions that are building up, only to result in a sudden and unexpected avalanche of political, financial, consumer, and social change at some point in the not-too-distant future. What will that ultimately look like is the subject of fierce speculation and debate. Media is out of control on all levels. The battle for your mind that was once a long, subtle, almost invisible cold war has gone hot. The stakes are high and the battles are intense. Hundreds of cable channels, hundreds of music channels, hundreds of apps on your smartphone, and thousands of YouTube channels, all vying for your precious attention. Your consciousness is the prize. It's like a mirror that has been fractured into a thousand pieces. 
And now, those established media giants feel your consciousness slipping away, slipping out of reach, so they become more outrageous, more manic, more inflammatory, just to keep your attention. And on top of that, they are attempting to kill off original thought by censoring opinions that challenge their narrative and dominance. They all want to own a piece of your mind. But just like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, you have the power. You always have to withhold your consent, to withhold your engagement, and more importantly, to withhold your mind from them. Unplug, disengage, let them throw their temper tantrums, as most of them will, leading up to the 2020 presidential election. Eventually, many of the noisiest will simply burn themselves out, like dried leaves falling on an autumn day. It's how nature recycles itself and creates organic change. And until next time, this is Robert Ian with ConquerChange.com. Thanks, Chris. Okay, Robert, thanks for another excellent installment. Well, that wraps up this week's GoldSeek.com radio episode. For two new big guests, be sure to check out next week's show. Until we talk to you again, have a great week. GoldSeek employees may or may not own shares. Nothing contained herein should be construed as investment advice.